So this month, we have been focusing on to God be the glory and not with the intent or thought that it's only this month that we want to do that. Obviously, every time we come together, even in our daily walk, we should be giving God glory. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. But in a very specific way, on each Sunday of this month, and your comments have been positive, and we appreciate that, we've been focusing on avenues where we know that God is so pleased, whether it be through the public singing, because God also likes to sing over us. Last Sunday, we focused on to God be the glory of and this morning, we transition to yet another one, and that is through God's reading of God's word, through spending time in prayer, through the songs, our shepherds this morning will be leading us in our worship in which we're going to be giving God the glory in communion. He certainly is due our praise, uh, and it's such a wonderful opportunity as we think about communion, and the scriptures that will be read thoughts that will be shared, the comments that will be made, just to reflect on how much unity we have as we circle around the table, as we think about what God has done for us, do for us. And so it certainly is a very unifying event for us. But first, before we actually get into it, the events of this past week, and it's interesting that it was on the heels of even our prayer time last week, you remember that um, for um, Bill Poteet led us in a prayer for our leaders and certainly uh, events in Ukraine as they've unfolded this past week without trying to make political commentary. Anytime people are suffering, we should be especially concerned about their welfare. Uh, not only those who are in Ukraine, but even Russian citizens who are also very much opposed to this event. So we thought it'd be appropriate just to spend a moment in private prayer, each of you just in your silent prayer, thinking about how you want to approach God about this ongoing um, tragedy in Ukraine and far-reaching consequences, and then I will include that prayer. So let's pray to you. Father, as we have uh, witnessed the events this past week in Ukraine, our hearts are broken. Uh, Father, we are just without words to know how this situation needs to be addressed, but we know that you have the power to bring about a peaceful outcome. Father, even last week, those who are enemies, we do pray for our enemies. We pray for our leaders, Father, for them to have wisdom. We certainly pray for the people of Ukraine. Pray for the people of Russia and all those in surrounding areas. Um, it is a complicated situation. It's a difficult situation. And certainly it is disheartening. Um, but we do pray for a peaceful outcome. We pray that cooler heads would prevail. We pray that, the, uh, that those who are in that country right now who are serving you uh, with spiritual missions, that you might protect them as well. And Father, just help us to be uh, grateful that in times such as these, when it just seems so far beyond our control, that we can petition you and that we can be uh, confident in knowing that, that your outcome will take place. Uh, just help us, Father, to um, 
to be loving, help us to be a light for you, help us always to be the kind of people that uh, don't just love peace, but that are peacemakers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. You're familiar with these passages, maybe not by memory, but if I were to take you there, you would be familiar with the fact that in each of these three chapters, we see Jesus introducing what we would call the Lord's Supper, the communion. These past couple weeks, as I was kind of reading these accounts, I actually was kind of intrigued by a question that I know that you know was asked, but it's very similar in each of the accounts, almost verbatim in each of the accounts that led up to the Lord's Supper. And it just kind of got me to thinking a little bit more about just um, what was taking place that particular night when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper. In Mark chapter 14, verse 12, this is what Mark writes as he gives his account of what's going about to be unfolding. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So here's these disciples coming to Jesus, entrenched with centuries of teachings and of traditions about all the different days and festivals and, and sacrifices and all these different things that were so much entrenched in their very culture, in their religious thinking. And here they're coming, and they're just asking what would be a very natural question. So do you want us to go in and prepare the Passover? As I was thinking about that question, it took me back to Exodus chapter 12. And you might, read, you might just turn there with me momentarily in Exodus chapter 12, because I was trying to think about what exactly was involved with that. I mean, I hadn't really thought exactly about all the specific things that would be taking place as far as preparation for the Passover feast, this festival, the day of unleavened bread. And Exodus chapter 12, you, you might read the thing at some time because it'll be a little bit overwhelming just from the standpoint of all that was involved in terms of what was taking place as far as God promising that the firstborn of the children of Israel be protected by this death angel passing over. And we know the rest of that story. But it's interesting because I had to be thinking at this time that as the disciples were thinking about the Passover, that their thoughts had probably nothing to do with what Jesus was about to do. It wasn't even remotely a part of their thought process. But this is probably what they were thinking, beginning in verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the days to come. You shall festival to the Lord, a, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you eat bread, made yeast. On the first day, whoever eats with yeast, the first day through the seventh must be cut off. On the first day, hold it. Do no work at all in these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought you your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, for seven days no yeast is 
And anywhere the foreigner or native anything yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to just you right now on some of the importance of what Moses, God through Moses, was sharing with them about this feast of unleavened bread and about the Passover, we probably would not pass that test. I mean, this is a pretty detailed description of what should happen on and so forth and so on. So, the Passover feast, I have to believe that when Jesus consented, he had something completely different in mind. But here's the point. As the followers of Jesus were their history, take for granted, had to be terribly, terribly puzzling to them. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. And then he took it up. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for more for so many. Where's the mention of mention the first and seven day being sacred? Where's the mention of foreigners not being able to the 14th day and the 20th day and so forth and so on? And Jesus is talking about a little bit of bread, a bit of juice. Profound words. This is interesting. Any other? Because when I look at this little wafer here, no bread there to satisfy your pangs of intense hunger. I also know that they're going to advertise that as a You would never see that on a menu. Pretty certain that if you were invited with you, that that is not what you deserve. That would be somewhat embarrassing. And yet, this is a supper unlike any other. That's why it makes it so special that we are able to share it together. And I just wondered if Jesus' words in the sermon we call the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I'm wondering if maybe there's some foreshadowing here about what he's proposing with what we call the Lord's Supper. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This bread and this juice that we'll be taking this morning, as we thirst for righteousness, as we know what Jesus has done for us, speaking, it is a humble act. There aren't a lot of steps to it. Sometimes we spend too much time talking about whether or not it should be done on this day day is that juice is that wine should we have one cup should we have multiple cups and and we have totally missed the whole point we've totally missed it so this morning we participate in this supper as we reflect his sacrifice on the cross so shepherds will be reading scripture singing offering up prayers i want to just leave you with this thought i came across this song this past week i don't know why I don't really make a habit of looking at songs, but I did. Came across this song this week, and it wasn't, um, I, I didn't really care the music, not that I'm a. And I think maybe they're on the screen, perhaps. I was on his mind. Glory makes the heaven shine so unwise mercy. Yet when he was on the cross, yet when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. My scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 53. And I cannot read this chapter without thinking of the time difference between what Isaiah says is going to happen it actually happens. 530 years ago from today, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. 530 or so years before Christ was born, Isaiah, uh, some centuries later, some say 500 to 700 years later. So can you imagine Columbus getting off his ship in the Bahamas, which is where he landed first? looking around and predicting that in 2022, on Southwest 89th Street, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, there would be an Oak Crest Church of Christ building. Long before there was a Southwest 89th, long before there was an Oklahoma City, there was an Oklahoma, long before there was the United States even. So as I, as I read this this morning, think of not just what I'm reading, but think of God-given knowledge that allowed Isaiah to prophesy way, way, way into the future. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. He who believed our message as the arm of the Lord revealed, he grew up like him before a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man's like one whom people hide their faces, despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has 
laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one Lord, we who are many are one body. For we are one Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you as a body here at Oakcrest. We come to you now lifting up your name, Jesus. We follow you, Lord. We thank you that night. We picture you saying goodbye to the disciples, breaking bread with them, instructing them, them not understanding what was going to happen, Lord. Um, Lord, I had a revelation. I, I always thought you said goodbye to them. Something that we all experience, saying goodbye to loved ones, saying goodbye in relationships. Uh, but I was wrong, Lord. I was wrong in that you weren't saying goodbye because you're here. You're here with us, Lord. You're here as we take this cup and this bread. We lift up your name. We sing praises to you and be with us, Lord, as we worship you. Thank you for your sacrifice and thank you for this day, Lord, we pray. To continue the reading from Isaiah 53, starting in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and will be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify me, and he will bear their inequities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. As Alan stated a moment ago, Isaiah was written somewhere between 500 and 700 years before Christ was born. The actual timeline of that is not important right now. What's important to remember that that prophecy was written before Christ was born. Now think about this for just a second. Generations and generations and generations passed while the Jews were looking for an earthly king. Jesus finally came. He was born of a virgin, just like the prophet Isaiah prophesied in 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and we'll call him Emmanuel. He walked this earth under the same sun and the same moon that we walk today. He encountered and had compassion with many people with sickness, disease, hunger, sin, doubt, hatred, and death. Jesus, who committed no sin, took your and my sins and the sins of the whole world when he was nailed to the cross that day. He died and was buried, and on the third day rose victorious over death. This morning, our focus is to, to God be the glory in communion. In a few moments, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. And as we do that, I ask that we also remember the words that the Apostle Peter penned later in chapter 2, starting with verse 22 of 1 Peter. And it says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insult at him, he did retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned shepherd and overseer of your soul. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Uh, you know, this appears to be some of the most specific teaching that Jesus gave about worship. And uh, he wanted to make sure that this was done the way he wanted it. And so uh, we're glad that we get to honor this. Um, For I received from the Lord what, is, what I also passed on to you the night he was bread. you do this after supper he took new covenant blood do this whenever you drink it and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes join me in prayer almighty God we uh are so humble. We're filled think that we could receive such a gift, yet ashamed that you had to die because of our sin. Let us never forget that these symbols of bread and juice represent the most important sacrifice in the entire world. Thank you again for this love and for this act. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Appreciate our shepherds for leading us in singing songs that were very appropriate. Thank you, Ted, and to all those who read scriptures and led us in prayer. Um, as the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10 that Kevin read, and because there's one loaf, we are one body. 
there's really nothing, spiritually speaking, that unites us like when we participate in the communion, when we take the supper. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say that for us to remember his miracles, although they were amazing, or his teachings, they were phenomenal, or how he fulfilled prophecy or conversations he had with whether it be his enemies or his friends. I want you to do this to remember me on the cross. Because when I was on the cross, I had you on my mind. Collectively, individually, that should always move us to want to always give God the honor and glory that he does deserve. I was thinking this past week again about us as a church giving God the glory. And I was thinking back to the infancy of the church, day of Pentecost, after so many came to know the Lord and just looking at what they were committed to doing, which I think we have been demonstrating this past month, which I think we should always continue to do if we believe that our existence makes a difference to God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Luke writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's really no more complicated than that, church. If we are committed to be a church that is committed to fellowship, committed to the apostles' teaching, to Jesus' teachings, committed to prayer, committed to continuing to break the bread, then, as this scripture says, I think we'll experience too. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm going to challenge us as a church family to be committed to being these kind of people, this kind of people. Not just because of the events of this past week, but they certainly have exacerbated darkness that exists in our world. But certainly, this world needs light. This world needs to see hope. This world needs to see rejoicing. This world needs to see people who are committed to serving this God who loved us so much that he gave us his son. This morning, as we bring our thoughts to a close, hopefully they only open up your thoughts for this upcoming week as you seek to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus by the way that you live your life. The idea here being that of making sure that our lives are connected with God. Communion is one way in which we connect with God, in which we connect with one another. If you have never named Jesus as your Lord, have never confessed that he is God's son, have never been baptized to surrender your lives to him, then God would want to welcome you today into his family. Or if you're part of his family, you want to be committed to helping us be the kind of church family that we see described here in Acts chapter 2, where we are giving God the glory in everything that we do, then we would certainly suggest that you have found that family. If you're subject to this invitation from God in any way, whether it be here in this auditorium, privately from where you are, or back in our chapel in the southwest corner of the building, we invite you to come now while we stand and sing.